Today we begin a two-part series that speaks to the bigger voice of Scripture. Of course, next week is Pentecost Sunday, so we're going to be touching on the, the themes that come from that. Next week we'll look at the finer details of God's mission as seen through the lens of Pentecost Sunday. But today we're going to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture of God's mission and, and hopefully bring a degree of balance uh, to what we read over the past three weeks. As we mentioned last week, we were walking two uncomfortable paths towards clarity as we worked our way through the book of, of Job. Two paths, two uncomfortable paths towards clarity. One path is walking with Job through his struggles and the other path is our own journey reflected back on us as we read through the pages of of Job. Now, we read the book of Job together because we aren't the kind of church that that digs a hole and and buries our struggles. We aren't the kind of church that puts a pretense on. We acknowledge the imperfect of life as we seek the God who is perfect. Job's circumstances are perhaps we might say intentionally extreme to teach us a few important truths that the mission of the devil is to undermine God and to elevate himself and to harm God's children that the mission of God is to be intimately involved in his creation and part of that intimate involvement is the maturing of his children into adulthood faith And that is in the midst, of course, of a broken world. And that where the devil has a very low view of humanity. We saw in chapter 1 verse 11 that the devil is implying that if Job loses everything, he will turn and curse God. The devil has a very low view of humanity, but God knows that there is something about his image bearers Something about humanity that enables them to hold to faith even in the midst of the most challenging circumstances. So what does Job teach us as a text? Well, it teaches us ultimately that that there is hope, that there's a light at the end of even the darkest tunnel. Job doesn't get shielded from the world, but, but God is with him in the world at the beginning. God is with him through the struggles and ultimately God is there to bring light and hope in the end. God is, as we said last week, he's personal, he's patient, he's wise. Job is is seen and known by God and and God is willing to reach down and, and ultimately shift Job's focus onto what is higher, greater and of eternal substance and that of course ultimately is God himself. In the end Job is restored. He's restored after he humbles himself and after chapter 42 verse 10 after he prayed for his friends. 
So there's something in there about God drawing a richness out of this in the end. And it reminds Job and and reminds us that in the midst of the imperfect, humanity is journeying towards the perfect because ultimately God is in control. Let me say that again. In the midst of the imperfect, humanity is journeying towards the perfect because ultimately God is in control. We must remember, though, as I said at the start, to put Job in its rightful place. It is one of of 66 books written by over 40 authors. It's part of the canon of Scripture. And the total canon reveals something of the character of God. There'll be a consistency, of course, throughout the the Word of God. but, But each text might bring a different dynamic to the character of God. So the 66 books reveal the character of God, they also reveal the mission of the devil. And again, some books will place greater emphasis on that than others and bring in different dynamics and facets of his mission. And then, of course, the 66 books reveal the faith of humanity. Of course, some books will reveal that faith in different ways to others and some, of course, will contain a lot of the failings of humanity as well. So where Job, as a a text, throws up questions, perhaps the rest of Scripture can offer answers and clarity to those questions. Where Job is made in, in God's image, we know, therefore, that he has intrinsic value and worth. He wasn't part, though, of the covenant people. And, and, and I believe that changes things. Yes, he was made in God's image. He has intrinsic value and worth, but he's not part of the covenant people of Israel. What does that, what does that mean? How does that impact things? Well, God's covenants and promises can change the playing field, both in the supernatural and in the natural realm. How does that How does that work? Well, because God's covenant promises not only point towards the perfect that is to come, but they offer a hand of protection and support along the way. So that's why we've got to be cautious in making Job as a text, a normative text, because there is a lot going on here. He's not part of the covenant people of Israel. And as covenant people... God's covenants and promises can change the playing field, both in the natural and the supernatural. They not only point towards the perfect to come, but they offer a hand of protection and support along the way. Now that doesn't, though, mean that God's covenanted people don't go through hardship. Because as we touched on over the past few weeks, the same problems exist for all people on earth. We live in a fallen creation. There is a mission of the Satan, the adversary. There are consequences of our own mistakes and the mistakes of others. But the covenant promises of God enable God's people to walk out his mission in what we might frame as willing partnership with God. Willing partnership according to God's will. And so that changes how life can unfold. Humanity actually only has two choices to make in life. The choice to walk in willing partnership with God or to suit oneself 
and then take what comes. What's the difference between these two options? Well, to suit oneself and take what comes means that we're open season to all that the world can throw at us. Without the hope and promise that God offers. And that hope and promise that God offers is not just in the end of time or at the end of a trial, but in the very midst of the trial too. If we are suiting ourselves, living our own way and taking what comes, we are open season to all the world can throw at us. We're without the hope and the promise that God offers. At the end of the trial and in the midst of it. To be a willing partner with God means that he's with us every step of the way. How comforting is that as an idea? That he's with us every step of the way. He's with us on the mountaintop when all is going well and we are celebrating and he's also with us in the valley. I don't know about, about you, but, but I know what I would choose. Go myself and take what comes or hold fast to God. Yes, it might be that we go through the same challenging circumstances that those out in the world go through but we don't go through them alone. It means that in the midst of the valley, incredible things can grow out of our time in that place. I can't help but think that Job and his friends missed out on that kind of growth because we saw from our our study that they spent so much time wrestling with each other and also with God himself. You see, being part of God's people invites us to live in the imperfect, but with our eyes fixed on the perfect. It reminds us that whilst the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, God will always have the final say. We could frame it like this, the devil may prowl, but the Lord will prevail. That's what happens if you're part of the covenant people of God. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 6 and onwards. Again, let's try and look at what happened at the end of Job. That Job humbled himself, that he reached out in restoration to his friends, and he held fast to God. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Chapter 5 there, verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen and support you after you have suffered a little while. This is written to a covenanted people. 
It reminds us that God will let us go through things. And and again, we get back to that question of why. Why does God let us go through things? Well, because God's mission in humanity is about two things. It's about maturing believers and revealing the mission of the devil. It's about maturing believers and revealing the mission of the devil. Often these two things go hand in hand. Being part of God's mission on earth is about revealing his character, his nature and his mission. And it's in direct contrast to that of the devil. Where the the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy, God's mission is to bring life and hope and promise to all who would trust in him. And that that living out that, that dynamic in humanity gives people the free choice, the free will choice to pick a side. God won't force people into heaven. We've talked about that a lot over the years. Part of the mission of the church, though, is to reveal to the world the difference between God's mission and the devil's. And one of the many ways that can happen is through how we contend with those times in the valley. Let's look at uh, the book of James. James chapter 1 together. Because this helps us again to frame the real life walk of faith. James chapter 1 verses 2 through to 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The manner with which we face adversity The manner with which we face adversity can speak incredible testimony to the world. In fact, it's often the most powerful voice to those beyond the church. Who's ever been inspired by someone else's faith through adversity? The faithfulness of others often builds faith in those that are looking on and watching. It transforms the people on the sidelines. But when you're going through the struggle, how can we hold fast in the face of challenge? Well, we look to the perfect in the midst of the imperfect. Yes, we'll have trials in this world, but take heart because we know one who has overcome the world. You see, those beyond the church don't have any such hope or anything like that to place their confidence in. They choose their own way and they take what comes. And when it comes, not if it comes, but when it comes, where do they put their trust and their confidence? This is the power of the promise of God. Often it's made in in covenants, it's made in commitments from heaven to earth. Commitments from heaven to earth that we can hold to through all things. 
It's promises that enable God's people to lift their eyes off of themselves and off of their circumstances to remember who their God is. Helen and I were part of a church environment years ago where so much effort was put into convincing us of who we were in Christ. And there's a lot of value in that, and I wouldn't want to diminish that in any way. But I think there's a better way to to walk and to live than that. It's a way that stops people from striving to be something. What is that better way? Well, how did God build up his people? Did he tell them who they were? Let's go back through the the texts of Scripture. Let's think about Moses. When God's encountering Moses, does, does God try and elevate Moses up to give Moses a boldness in who Moses is? Or does he tell Moses who he is? Does God build up people or does God reveal himself? You see, when we are encountering the truth and reality of the power and majesty of God, it makes us, enables us to lift our eyes and fix them on the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the God of promise. Yes, we are his children and that gives us a degree of place and, a, and a, a chance to partner with this God of promise, but he is the God of promise. He's the one who makes the womb of Sarah bring forth Isaac. He's the one who established a faithful nation from which hope of redemption would one day come. He's the one who came in the flesh and died in the flesh that we might live. He is the one who came as the Spirit and filled all who would call upon his name. God is the God of promise and he is the God of promises fulfilled. And so, does God build up his people? I would propose that actually God reveals who he is. And we take courage, not from who we are, but from who he is. Of several covenant promises God has made to his people throughout time, there's one recorded in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament and and technically, ultimately, yet to be fulfilled and brought to completion. But it's unfolding before our very eyes, and we are invited to be willing participants in this, this unveiling promise. It's a promise that is that is born out of uh, out of love for humanity. It's established by by God through willing partnership between God and humanity, but it is born out of love for humanity. It's also purposed to bring the devil's mission to an end once and for all and to bring God's mission for humanity to its sweet and final victory. It's a promise made during the imperfect purpose to lift God's people to look to the perfect that is to come. So that in the midst of their trial, they can stand firm. In the midst of their challenge, they can hold to the promise to be strengthened 
ultimately through any trial and trust that all will ultimately be well. We find it in the in the book of Jeremiah 31. Now we will revisit this in greater depth in, in the, the months to come whenever we arrive at Jeremiah in our chronological study. But Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to just pull out dynamics of this just to hear the perfect promise of God. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. So there we have that voice of love, the voice of love to humanity. Verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return from the enemy's land. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration, and your children will return to their own territory. Remember, this is set in a time of imperfect, but pointing towards the perfect. Let's go to 21. Set up road markers for yourself. Establish signposts. Keep the highway in mind, the way you have travelled. Return, virgin Israel. Return to these cities of yours. How long will you turn here and there, faithless daughter? For the Lord creates something new in the land. A female will shelter a man. And there's that hint. Many would propose that hint towards redemption coming through the Messiah. A female will shelter a man. Verse 23, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, when I restore their fortunes, they will once again speak this word in the land of Judah and in its cities. May the Lord bless you, righteous settlement, holy mountain. Judah and all its cities will live in it together, also farmers and those who move with the flocks. For I satisfy the thirsty person and feed all those who are weak. At this I awoke and looked around. My sleep had been most pleasant to me. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of people and the seed of animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and to tear them down, to demolish and to destroy and to cause disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant them. This is the Lord's declaration. There's that voice again. God allowing things to happen. God allowing them to go through the challenge, but he brings them out. I will watch over them to build and to plant them. Verse 29. In those days it will never again be said the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. There's a a proverb. We might even say it's an idiom. And that refers to the fact that people were perceiving that they were being punished because of their father's sin. And and so what's being said here is that actually that will not be happening. In those days, it will never again be said that you are being punished for your father's sin. 
verse 30. Rather, each will die for his own iniquity. Anyone who eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. So there's that call to personal accountability. The willingness to partner with God or reject God. Verse 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. There's that restoration voice of peoples. This, verse 32, this one will not be like a covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. There was the voice of rescue. What happened though? My covenant that they, the people of Israel, that they broke even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teachings within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In the midst of the imperfect, God reveals himself and therefore points to the perfect. It is a new, perfect and permanent covenant. Now yes, you have to wait. These people had to wait for it to come. But one thing was sure, and that was that it was coming. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your voice of hope that just permeates your scripture, sometimes in gentle ways, sometimes in direct and purposeful ways. Father, help us to hold to hope. Help us to understand your nature and your character and help us to partner with you, to draw close to you, to know you intimately so that when trial comes, we can bear fruit for your name's sake. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you.